0: 84th Psalm, how amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my king, And my God, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Selah, blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will be withheld from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would bless us with the words of this psalm. We thank you for them. We ask, Heavenly Father, that they would give us as much joy and comfort as it. It was in the hearts of the the sons of Korah in the very early days. Bless your word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Most of you know my inclination to comment from time to time on the hymns that we sing. Sometimes there's just a slight bit of criticism, sometimes uh, uh, it's to raise a question, is this an appropriate statement or not, sometimes it's just to point out something, this is pretty good, please keep this in mind. I rarely interrupt the singing to make those comments, I have from time to time, but I don't do it very often. Usually, I, if I say anything at all, it comes at the conclusion of the hymn, so that we don't break up the, the uh, theme of the song or the worship that might be involved. In a similar sort of way, I hesitate to preach or teach from the Psalms, because in our dissection, we can easily miss the beauty of the Spirit's overall intention with the psalm. Chopping it up and looking at words can rob us of the overall picture. On the other hand, I firmly believe in the plenary verbal inspiration of the Word of God. With plenary meaning full or complete, I believe that every word of every psalm and every other scripture was intentionally given to us by the Spirit. In other words... Not only does each chapter have meaning and purpose, but so do the individual words that make up those verses that make up those chapters. Right. Amen. Often we can only grasp what the Spirit is, draw- is, is saying by drawing out the meaning of the individual word. Sometimes it needs to be done. But in doing this, we must strive for balance, between the individual parts and the entire thought. It's difficult at times. C.H. Spurgeon wrote and published a set of three volumes in his study of the Psalms. Those 1,200 pages are called The Treasury of David, even though not every one of the Psalms come from the pen of David. In his introductory words to Psalm 84, one that we just read, Spurgeon said, if the 23rd be the most popular Psalm, the 123rd the most joyful, the 119th the most deeply experimental, the 51st the most plaintive, this is one of the most sweet of the Psalms of peace. This is one of the sweetest of all the Psalms, says this man who spent quite a bit of time studying the Psalms. I jotted down and chewed over a few of his comments, but I assure you that this is not Spurgeon's outline or message, this is entirely my own. However, he did say Psalm 84 breaks apart into three pieces, divided at the word selah. Four verses, Selah. Four verses, Selah. And then the conclusion of the psalm. And that is true. And I would like to take three evenings to look at this delightful psalm. Four verses, four verses, and four verses. Note the introduction. To the chief musician, upon Gittith, a psalm for the sons of Korah. There are several potential lessons in these words. I'm not gonna concern myself with giddeth because as I was studying this, this man had this opinion as to what it means, this man had this opinion, and another opinion comes out over there. Some say that the word refers to some sort of musical instrument. I'm not so sure about that. It makes more sense that it might be some specific tune to which these words were originally sung. It used to be in some Christian hymnals, I have one or two at home, I thought about bringing one to show to you, but you couldn't see it from up here anyway. Uh, It used to be in Christian hymnals that all there were were the words. But after the title, there was a word, a name, a description, or a number that took the singers, or particularly the instrumentalists, to a tune that was to be played while these words were being sung. People didn't know how to read music any better then than they do now. And so what was the point in having the, uh, the notes there uh, when you could have really big hymnals with lots and lots of words and lots and lots of things to sing? So that's been done in the past, and that seems to be the case here. We don't know how this was sung, to what tune it was sung. It may have been sung to Giddeth. Whoever wrote these words made a double dedication to the chief musician for the sons of Korah. 1 Chronicles 6.31 says... And these are they whom David set over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark had rested. And they ministered before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of the congregation with singing. Then the chronicler mentions several names and their lineage, going back to Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. The Son of Israel, these sons of Korah, who are described in the introduction here, were descendants of Levi. They were of the Kohath family of priests. There were three branches of the Levites. You might be thinking, "Well, good for them. What does that have to do with me? I will simply reply with First Peter chapter two. And verse number 9, which you know so very well. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Without taking anything away from the people to whom this was originally given, I think we can say we can use this as well. We are priests of the Lord after the order of Christ Jesus, our Melchizedek, not Levitical priests, but we too are to represent the Lord. We too are to serve the Lord. We also can worship the Lord. And this was given to the priesthood. We can use this to worship the Lord. It's been dedicated to our use for the glory of the Savior. But there's something else. Who is the chief musician? I can't see your Bible from up here. But uh, my Bible has the word musician in the introduction capitalized. Which says to me that this musician is deity. I generally read it that way. When I see a pronoun and it's capitalized, I know it belongs to the Lord. I think this reference to the musician is talking about the Lord, who is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the chief of all the musicians. So whoever wrote this, David or Asaph or someone else, dedicated it to the Lord to be used by the sons of Kohath. For the Lord's worship. Every chapter. Every verse. Every line. Belongs to God. It reminds us that. Whenever we read the word. We are reading the Lord's book. We hold it with reverence. It is God's book. To the chief musician. Upon Giddeth. A psalm for the sons of Korah. Verse number one. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. In modern usage, the word amiable means having or displaying a friendly and pleasant manner. Some people are more amiable than other people. Some are just friendlier. By the way, I was reading a message by A.T. Pearson this morning, and he criticized those people who are amiable because quite often they're compromisers. I suppose that is a possibility. Nevertheless, nevertheless, moving on, most commentators, including Spurgeon, declare the word amiable to mean lovely. How lovely are thy tabernacles. However, based on how this Hebrew word is used elsewhere in the Bible, I believe it means beloved or beloved. Almost always this word is used to describe either the Lord or some person. Only here does it apply to something else. In Isaiah 5, verse number 1, we have a typical use of this Hebrew word. Now I will sing unto my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very full, fruitful hill." Here in our verse, the psalmist, I think, is saying, O Lord, how thy tabernacles are loved. Or perhaps, O how I love your tabernacles, O Lord. As you know, the psalmist was addressing Yahweh. He was addressing Jehovah. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But why in this context is he called the Lord of Hosts? With hosts usually referring to armies. I wish that I had a definitive Hebrew explanation, but I haven't been able to find one. All I can find are Christians who make their comments about this Lord of hosts. It's interesting. The title Lord of hosts is used 235 times in the Old Testament, but in only four Psalms. Four times in the Psalms. In four Psalms, let me rephrase that. Three times in this Psalm. It's unusual for the Psalms to refer to the Lord as the Lord of hosts. It usually points to the Lord's strength. And as a result, the comfort that should come to us as we are under his protection. That apparently is what's referred to here. But then we come to the word tabernacles. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. With this word, we come to several possible interpretations. Most of the commentators tell us that the psalmist was referring to the tabernacle, which was put together in the days of Moses. But if that is the case, Why is it plural? Tabernacles. My thought as I first read this verse yesterday was that it was referring to the dwellings of God's people. Then after reading it several times, my eye caught on that possessive pronoun, thy tabernacle. One explanation for the plurality is that the original tabernacle was set up over here and then taken down, moved over here and set up again and taken down, moved over here for 40 years, up and down and up and down, same tabernacle but in different places and therefore we have the, the plural. Uh, I don't know. Another explanation is that the original tabernacle was at a Gibeon at this time, but David had taken the Ark of the Covenant at at one point and put it in a tent in Zion, so there was a tabernacle here and a tabernacle there. We don't know when this psalm was written. That may be the explanation. Then some others offered the idea that it referred to the various components of the tabernacle. We have the outer courtyard where the brazen altar was and then we have the holy of holies and then we have the holiest place. And those together made tabernacles but it doesn't make any sense. But it did to somebody so I'll just throw it out there for you. It seems to me looking at all that the psalmist says he was thinking simply of the place where God is. Mm. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to be anywhere else. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. But no one actually lived in the tabernacle. And there were no literal doorkeepers opening and closing the cloth flaps. Was there even a door into the courtyard? There was just... uh, A hole within the the canvas. I know this is not a proper interpretation of the verse, but I'd like to make a New Testament application. What if we applied this statement to the Lord's churches scattered around the world? Are they not amiable? Are they not beautiful? Beloved? They are God's tabernacles, not ours. And what does he think of those churches? I believe that he looks at each of his ecclesias with love. Isn't it possible to make sense of this psalm as speaking of the church into which the Lord has placed you? How amiable are the Lord's tabernacles? Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. Verse 2. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord my God, and my flesh crieth out for the living God. The word longeth is a particularly strong word. The psalmist is saying that his soul so yearned for the courts of the Lord that it bordered on greed or even lust. I, I, I lust after the, the tabernacles of God, the dwelling place of God. He so yearned for the tabernacles of God that it was, they, it was, they were on his mind when he woke up in the morning. And constantly through the day, his mind went back to the tabernacles of the Lord. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to fly F-16s or to be the the man who opens the door to the the vault at Fort Knox. He said, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth. Poetically, in any language, fainting is a mini-death. This is how much this man loved the things of God the worship of God, the service of God. Oh, how I wish that we all had that much love for the service of the Lord, for the house of God. It was on a higher level than the young person who has fallen deeply in love with this other young person and constantly throughout the day thinking about that. They have no appetite. They can't get anything done because of their love. But this man thinks about the house of the Lord in a way similar to that. But it wasn't the physical building. It wasn't the tent or the tabernacle. It was all about the living God who called this place His tabernacle. My soul, my heart, and my flesh cry out, For the living God. We might make the mistake of reading the words cry out as if it's the pleading of someone in exile. But they're more like Paul and Silas when they were prisoners in Philippi. How did they spend their time in that jail? Acts 16.25 says at midnight... Probably they couldn't sleep because of the pain. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. The word cry, which the psalmist uses here, is most often translated sing. Sing loudly. Sing aloud. Sing for joy. This psalm, remember, was given to the singers of Israel. Their cries, their pleas were often in the form of loud, boisterous singing. Verse 3. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord Lord of hosts, my King and my God. I don't go to Lowe's or Home Depot as often as some of you do. But I go every once in a while. Several times, I don't know how many times, I have been in one of those big box stores and seen a mouse run from this side of the aisle to the other. A couple of years ago, it was a chipmunk in the store. And then to have sparrows flying overhead is very common. Very common. This verse doesn't actually say that there were sparrows in the tabernacle but it seems implied. It could be interpreted in the way the Lord Jesus said of his heavenly father taking care of the sparrows and meeting their needs. Nevertheless, I wonder what attitude the Levites might have had if a sparrow decided to take shelter inside the tabernacle. I would not have been surprised if they said... The Lord has allowed one of his children to come into the tabernacle. Who am I to drive it out? I'll just let the Lord take the sparrow home when when he's ready. I picture them more like the employees of Lowe's than the housewife who left the door open and a sparrow came into the living room. We get excited about that. But was the psalmist including himself in the picture of the sparrow? Who are we in the grand scheme of things so small are not two sparrows sold for a farthing and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father this sparrow has found a home in God's house the sparrow has a home in the church of the lord jesus christ even between thine altars o lord of hosts my king and my god Between thine altars, there were two altars in the tabernacle. One was inside the holy place, uh, the golden altar, the altar of incense. And one was outside in the uh, uh, courtyard, the brazen altar, for the sacrifices. There were certainly birds of all sorts out there next to the brazen laver and the brazen altar. Is that what we're talking about here? Notice the psalmist's reference to God. O Lord of hosts, once again, my King, my God. Jehovah is not just God. He's not just sovereign. He's not just the boss. He's my King. He's my God. Praise the Lord, He's mine. In addition to that, I reverend, in addition to my reverence of God, I love Him. He is such a blessing. If I'm not mistaken, and I might be, perhaps uh, Rachel and Austin can correct me, or Judy can, I believe it's at the rest stop that's just outside of Sheridan, Wyoming, on I-90, that over the door to the Visitor center, you have to go in there to get to the restrooms. Swallows are in the corners of, or above the door. Have you seen these? I've seen them on several occasions. You just don't need restrooms, we're old. Uh, Yeah, and been there several times in the spring. With babies in these mud nests over the doors, and the parents come out and they kind of dive bomb at the people who are trying to get into the visitor center. Uh, the people working at the center, I've even asked on one occasion, I believe this was, the, this was the right place, I asked, why don't you do something about the swallows? They belong here, they're just part of the, the situation. There's no sense driving them away. That's the way I picture my Lord. He loves to have us build our nests in his tabernacles. He's not going to drive us away. Verse 4. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. The word blessed in the Old Testament is essentially the same as it is in the New Testament. Oh, how happy are they that dwell in God's house. Personally, I cannot think of anywhere I would rather be this evening than right here. No other place. And Sunday, it's inconceivable to be anywhere else. There have been those occasions when I couldn't make it to church. Not very often. And when I'm not in the house of the Lord, I I am not happy Why are those tabernacle dwellers blessed or happy? Well, they can smell the aroma of the sacrifice, for one thing. Ooh, how it tingles the senses to know that the Savior is here. They rejoice in the ministry. They rejoice in the fellowship. They're in the house of God. Whereas they used to be in the tavern. In the uh, uh, roadhouse dance hall, in the jail, perhaps in the hospital. I'm in the I'm in the house of the Lord. There's a better place to be than right here. Yes. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. They will still what does that mean? It means that their joy will lead them to praise the Lord forever and ever. After whatever the world and the devil throw at them, they will still be praising the Lord. They will be singing God's praise today and tomorrow. And they will be singing a more holy version of that praise when they're actually in the physical presence of God. Psalm 145, I will extol thee, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee. I will praise thy name forever and ever. And I'll close with the last verse of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Next week, we'll pick up with verse number five.